Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. My name is Rob Basham, and I am a uh, pastor here at Sam Alliance Church. I'm also the Associate Dean of Reach Training Institute, a college that we've started here at Sam Alliance to prepare men and women for vocational full-time ministry. And uh, this is my first Sunday that I'm officially on staff here at Sam Alliance, and I have the privilege of... Uh, I have the, the privilege today to get to talk to you about the idea of authority. The authority that we as believers have in Christ. We're part, we're part in the middle of a series right now, and it's called The Invisible War. And over the past weeks, we've, we've learned a lot. We've learned that we are in a, a world where spiritual warfare exists. It is real. We see it all around us. We've talked about the armor of God that is ours to put on as we enter into that war. We've also talked about how we sometimes knowingly and sometimes not knowingly create these footholds that allow the enemy to come in and wreak havoc in our lives and keep us from fullness in intimacy with Christ. Steve got us going a little bit last week on the concept of authority, and he shared an incredible example from Hong Kong. And, and in the middle of a busy intersection, a truck is rolling down the street, and a police officer steps in to that middle of the street, and he's able to put up his hand. And though that truck is much more powerful than the police officer, he is able to hold up his hand, and the truck stops. Why? Because the authority that the officer has, because he has a badge, and the government that is behind him, he has authority that then is manifested as power. That is what we are talking about today. Today we are talking about spiritual authority that we have. That when we walk in this spiritual authority, it results in an incredible power that allows the kingdom of God to move forward. We've sung how it's a marvelous mystery, and this, this concept of authority is one of those marvelous mysteries. I grew up in a house where I, I was told, if you wake up in the middle of the night as a little kid and you're scared, just say the name of Jesus. Don't wake up mom and dad, just say the name of Jesus. <laughs> and for years, I would practice that. I hope that works better for you than it did for me. It never really worked for me, yet I still tell my kids to do the same thing, right? And uh, so I, I grew up with this understanding, there's power in the name of Jesus. We would sing it at church, there's power in the blood, and I was just, you know, this is what I grew up with. But I never really understood it clearly. As I began to read scripture, as I be, began to just get deeper in my faith, I would see this authoritative rule that we're supposed to be able to walk in, that Christ gave to his disciples, but I didn't, I didn't understand it much. And I never really talked much, and the youth group leaders didn't talk about it much, and we didn't hear it from the platform all that much as well. Well, I remember I went off to college, and I went to college, and I was a philosophy major. And if you are a high schooler and you're thinking about becoming a philosopher and you're going to be a philosophy major, I just want to talk to you after the service and gently steer you in a different direction. <laughs> but I was a philosophy major. And, and uh, my freshman year, there was a group of philosophy majors and some other people. We would go down to New York City to a place called Washington Square Park in Manhattan on the NYU campus. It's kind of a modern-day Athens. It's where, it's where these intellectual conversations would happen. I would pretend I could hang with these people. Comics, poets, philosophers, musicians would all gather and they would just dialogue together. So my first time that I ever went down there with this group, I remember I'm there, I'm having conversations with people. I ran to get a drink, left the park, and on my way back 
in, I'm walking by this park bench. And there's a guy, he's just kind of out cold on the park bench. And as soon as I walk by, he wakes up right away. And with this demonic voice and this look in his eyes, he says, boy, you don't belong here, leave. It freaked me out. But what was even weirder is I looked at him and said, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you, which was really weird. (laughs) And he immediately fell back asleep. And it gave me one of those Spider-Man moments where, you know, when Spider-Man, all of a sudden he can shoot his webs. He's like, what just happened? Look at this. I have, oh my goodness. And it did all these things in me. All of a sudden I had all these different feelings. I'm shocked. I'm scared. I'm so full of faith. But I'm also, it's weirding me out. Well, that happened. I was there. And over the years, I've tried to understand slowly and humbly this concept of operating in faith, operating in the authority that I hope today you see clearly you have. Even today, when I feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit in me to pray for someone or to pronounce something or to engage with someone, even today, when God shows up and my faith results in his power being manifest and something amazing happens in a person's life, I'm still a little bit weirded out and I am still experiencing an incredible just fullness of faith. Even today. The idea I want you to take today is this. The enemy fears nothing more than a Christian who walks in their authority. The enemy fears nothing more than a Christian that walks in his or her authority. Do we believe what it says in Romans 8:11? the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us? Do we believe what it says in John 14, 12? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. In fact, they'll do even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. We are in this series, The Invisible War, and today we are talking about spiritual authority. Let me me attempt to define what I mean by spiritual authority. Here's a definition for you. Spiritual authority is the God-given right of rulership rooted in a relationship with God, with him, through Christ, whereby we superimpose, we put over the rules and the order and the impact of his world, the kingdom of God, over our world, our current situations, our world. It's a bit of an academic definition, so let me try to break that down for you. It's pretty much... uh, We have authority because of what Christ did to live a here in the now as in heaven life. We have that authority. What I want to do this morning is I want to show you why we have it. I want to take a look through the narrative of the scripture, of the gospels, and I want to show you why we have this authority. You see, God gave dominion and authority to us. Why? I have no idea. Probably wouldn't have been the way I do it, but I'm not God. I don't know why. But he gave us this dominion. He gave us this authority to walk in. Genesis, we see this in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals 
on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, in the birds, in the sky, in the animals that scurry along the ground. It continues in Genesis 2, and God brings the animals to Adam and says, name them. And it's not a simple thing that says, you look like a goat. You look like a lion. You look like a bear. There is a lot more going on when Adam is given authority to name these animals. This was the initial authority that was intended for us to use. Psalm 115, 16 declares this as well. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. So God releases his authority to us in the earthly realm as we live in agreement with him. Let me pause for a minute through this narrative story. I want you to notice something here. Authority's purposes here in the garden, authority's purposes are to rule to name, to cultivate, and to protect. Rule, name, cultivate, and protect. What do you see about those things? Notice that none of them are selfish. None of them are abusive. None of those things are controlling in any form. They are all constructive. They are all there to build up. They are all there for the benefit of those being ruled over. So God gives us this dominion, this authority, but we know the story. We know what happens. We lose this authority. We forfeit this authority. Adam commits high treason. He commits high treason and this authority is now gone. One of the uh, horrible effects of the fall of man and there is no longer this authority. It's forfeited. The word forfeit is a word I cannot stand. The word forfeit is the word that they would use when I used to play baseball. And in Little League, I remember this one day showing up. I was like nine or 10 years old, and it was my day to pitch. And I could not wake. And I wake, I wake up early, and I'm like out throwing the ball. I am just ready to go. And I get to the field, and I'm waiting for our team to gather. And they start to gather. And now it's game time, and there's seven guys there, which means we're going to forfeit the game. And it's not about the loss. It's that we don't even get to play. Are you kidding me? I hate the word forfeit. The word forfeit is what happens when you're trying to plan a little getaway and surprise the wife, and you're looking at all these frequent flyer miles you have and where you can go with this stuff, and then you see that email you missed from Delta that says, hey, those miles expired. You forfeited them. I don't like the word forfeit. But this is exactly what happened with our authority. We forfeited it. We lost it. It is gone. It is no longer of worth. Another ruler was introduced into the story. And Satan came, and he disrupted our cooperation with God. All of a sudden, our ruling and the authority we had been given, had been bestowed upon us, was now a struggle. It's now a struggle. We handed over the keys to the kingdom. We handed over the keys to the kingdom. Understand this. We, humanity, gave Satan his authority. God didn't. And we gave him our authority. He didn't get and still doesn't have God's authority. He stole ours. We forfeited it. 
We even see Satan dangle this authority before Christ when he's tempting him in the desert. This is what he says. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give anyone they please. And this is the truth of today. The prince of this world goes around. What is he good at? Deceiving. He's good at killing and destroying and lying. And he goes around this earth and he continues to do that because of the authority that we gave him, that we forfeited, that was intended for us. The good thing is this narrative doesn't stop here. You know this narrative doesn't stop here. The story continues, and at the cross, at the cross, with the death, resurrection, ascension, and Christ's exaltation, exalted to the right hand of God, Satan is defeated. And with that, this authority is restored. This authority is reclaimed. Humanity messed this one up. Yet the story takes a turn, and grace enters. Jesus became Emmanuel, God dwelling with us, among us, and by his death and resurrection, the authority is reclaimed. Colossians 2.15 says, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He made, uh, he shamed them, he made a public spectacle of them by his victory over them at the cross. The kingdom of God is now manifest because of what God, what Christ did on the cross. And this is what Christ talks about. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God because this is why I was sent, Luke 4, 43. And we see Christ live this out everywhere he goes. He takes the kingdom of God into new places and the light expands. He goes and he heals the sick. He delivers those who are demonized. He declares that the kingdom of God is near everywhere he goes. Not only that, he gives that authority to his disciples. In Luke 11, we see his disciples go out and do the same thing. And they come back with that, whoa, it's like the Spider-Man moment again for his disciples. And they come back. We're in his authority. This stuff is happening. No longer is authority just going through Christ himself but it's going through the people that pick up this authority and take it everywhere they go. Jesus came. He reinstituted the rule and reign of God on this earth. He restored us back to our original purposes. God's initial intent for us was graciously reestablished. Exalted, this authority Christ has given us is now delegated to us. You see this so clearly in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is in many ways a manual on how spiritual authority works. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. We sing that a lot, but do we believe that? This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of us, the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And then in Ephesians 2, 6, look what it says. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Friends, I always would read this passage and say that's the future hope we have in heaven. Why? Because that's not as weird. 
But the bottom line, it's not about the future hope we have in heaven. It is the now. It is the here. It is the present. This authority is our present possession. The truth is, the truth is that we are seated in the throne room. We are seated in the throne room. That is why we are called a royal priesthood. For years, I would get to this point. I understood it theologically. I could see the narrative of scripture and what it was saying. I would get there intellectually, but I wasn't stepping into it. Partly because it's way out of my comfort zone. Partly because I think it's kind of strange. It is weird. I'm sorry. I I think it's kind of weird. But a mentor of mine would always tell me, your next great intimate moment with Christ is generally outside of your current comfort boundary. And I believe that that is true. I believe that is so true. And as my family began to be called into new levels of ministry, as I began to see that spiritual warfare is real, I said, I guess I got to pick this thing up. I don't really want to, yet I do, but I don't really want to, but I really do. And I began to see that we're called to operate in this. The Great Commission talks about this. It's right there. Many of you know my family spent 12 years in the Middle East. We spent 12 years in the Middle East, and I saw incredible spiritual warfare when I was pastoring in the city of Boston. I see spiritual warfare. I saw incredible spiritual warfare in the Middle East. Our first night when we landed in that country, we were attacked mightily by Satan. He went after my kids. Yet the story I want to tell you about spiritual warfare happened two years later. It happened when our our team was looking to start a new work in the south of the country where we were working. And we went down to this new city. It's about 10 minutes from the border of Saudi Arabia. And we went down to this new city and we we met with some of the government officials, said, we start these community centers to bless the city. Where would you like us to start one? They said, in this specific neighborhood, it's an underserved neighborhood, about 20,000 people. We said, great. We left the meeting. We drove right to the neighborhood. And what would you... Right there on Center Street, the center of Center Street, there was this empty building that was for sale. Like, this is incredible. The cell phone numbers just spray painted right, right on it of the landlord. So we call the landlord, we get the price way lower than we expected. And we get in the car, we pray, we say, this is it. We leave, we raise money in four months to pay cash for the building. We decide we're gonna buy this building. I go with our lawyer, I meet the owner of the building, got to walk in cash-based system with like over 100 grand in a briefcase, that was fun. Get to go in there, (laughs) buy the building, hand him the money, he counts it, signs over the, the building to us, gives it to us and says, hey, just so you know, you just bought the haunted house of our city. So I, I asked the lawyer, I'm like, like in Arabic, did he just say in Arabic, the haunted house? It's like, yeah. Well, what are you talking about? I said, well, that's the building. It's, it's known in that neighborhood. That's where all the jinn, the evil spirits, all live in that building. And the landlord proceeds to tell us that he used to pay poor people when he'd have an investor that wanted to buy the building. He would pay poor people to sleep in the building because the people could exist there. The evil spirits weren't there, but they wouldn't last a night. So then he said, well, I don't have any power to get rid of them, so I'll go to the Muslim leaders. I'll go to the sheikhs, the imams of the local mosque. And they would come, and they brought their leader in because they couldn't get rid of them. And basically, they just declared, it is better that we know where all the evil spirits are since we can't get rid of them. We're just going to leave this building so we know where they are and people can just stay away from it. <laughs> I thought this was local folklore. It was not. I had a meeting with a high-ranking government official, and he's like, you're the American that bought the haunted house. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But we knew the Lord had told us to buy this building. And we did not freak out. 
We simply fasted and prayed, and we sent out a thing. We got over 1,000 people that we connected with and said, would you fast and pray on this afternoon? We're going in the building. And we entered that building, and we declared that any spirit that does not belong there, any spirit that is not under the authority of Jesus Christ needs to go in Jesus' name. And we went through every room in that building. We prayed, and we worshiped, and we declared the purposes of God in that building. This first floor will be a coffee shop that will bring the peace of Christ to many people. This second floor will be a place of education where people will learn, where they will be empowered to be able to get better jobs and economically blessed. This top floor will be a place of exercise and movement for women where they can come and take all their coverings off and move in freedom and in peace. And we declare the purposes of that building. Nothing strange manifested itself, but we knew something broke that day. And four months later, when the renovations were completed, 60 people gathered in that coffee shop. 60 people gathered for our opening. From day one, we did not have a big enough building. But that was testimony that that place had been cleansed. And for years, people would come to me and say, how did you get rid of them? How did you get rid of those evil spirits? How did you get rid of those jinn? And the answer I always gave was simply this. I am a child of the living God. I am a follower of Jesus, and he has given me authority. And all I had to do was say, in Jesus' name, you cannot be here, evil spirits. Go. And gave testimony back to Christ. I will never forget the day that an old lady walked by, and she walks in and wanted to meet with the director. And I go, I have no idea what she wants. She goes, trembling. She goes, for the last 10 years, I have walked down this street. I would cross the street, walk on the other side of the street, cross back over to go get my groceries and do the same on the way back, because I was scared of this building. And I'm standing in it. And it is now the most beautiful building on the street. Friends. We have an authority, and it is not enough to recognize that this authority exists intellectually. It is not enough to agree with the theology that I am trying to bring to you this morning. The truth is that we are seated in the throne room with Christ. His authority has been delegated to us, and we are called to cooperate with him in Jesus' name. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the alliance, the movement, the denomination that our church is part of, says this. This was the secret of Christ's power, that he spoke with authority, prayed with authority, commanded with authority, and power followed. The reason we do not see more power is because we do not claim the authority Christ has given us. So how do we claim this? How do we cooperate and play a role in this kingdom? How do we live a here-as-in-heaven life? We simply walk in this authority. We simply decide that we want to walk in this authority. Understand that walking in this authority is not some spiritual gift that some people have. It is not something that can be imparted to you. It is not something that all of a sudden you have this crazy experience with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden now I walk in authority. This is something that is yours for the taking at the point of salvation. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, if you want his rule and reign in your life, if you want his ways into your world, if you are a follower of him, if you have nailed a nail into that cross, this authority is available to you now. We are throne room people. This authority is our inherent right. It is our purpose. It is the portion of every believer. Today, the invitation is to recognize this, to humbly accept that that authority is there for us and to begin to walk into it. With the authority I have been given in Christ, I release courage over you to have the faith to be able to walk in it.
Authority is rooted in our identity in Christ. It is rooted in our identity in Christ. It is expanded in our intimacy, in our relationship with him. And it is activated by faith. Let me give you this quote again from my good friend, Rob Reamer. Authority is rooted in identity. It is expanded in intimacy. And it is activated by faith. Today, the invitation is to activate that with your faith. Before I give you some practical ways to begin to live into this authority, it's probably good if I throw out a caution or two. The first is this. Wherever this authority is, if you begin to step in this authority, it always must be accompanied with humility. This authority must always be accompanied with humility. When it is not, it will not have the power and it will not last and it will not bring peace. When it is not, that is called abuse. And many of us have seen authority abused. And therefore, that's why we're even hesitant to go there. Some of us have been hurt by it. I'm sorry. But the bottom line is that we are called to do it and it needs to be accompanied by humility. And that humility will only increase as intimacy with God increases. The humility must be a peace. The humility is the safeguard. Next, as a theology of authority, as an understanding of the authority that you have as a believer increases, I pray also that a theology of suffering increases in your life, that you understand suffering. What do those two have to do with one another? Theology of suffering and a theology of authority and power. Could it be any different? Well, let me tell you, the way the kingdom of God goes forth in the world is through authority and power and through suffering. But here, here in America, we don't like that one. We don't like the suffering piece. In fact, when we see believers suffering in far off lands, our first thought is we need to rescue them. And there are times when they need to be rescued. But oftentimes they sit back and say, why are you trying to rescue us? The kingdom of God is going forth right now. Incredible things are happening. We have a theology of understanding that you don't understand. We need to understand suffering. And my goal today is not to give you a theology of suffering. It is to paint for you a clear understanding through the narratives of scripture, the authority we have in Christ. But hear this. Don't presume that once you pick up this authority, all will be well. Suffering will suddenly dissipate. You'll experience great blessing and wealth and incredible health in your life and your relationships. This is not a guarantee against pain. This is not a guarantee against struggles and difficult times. This is about intimacy with your father. This is about the kingdom of God expanding. One way that you can make sure you're operating humility and that you're understanding even the concept of suffering is to make sure you have a posture, a simple posture that, that understands this, a posture of living with an awareness that sometimes God wants to do something through you and not for you. Sometimes God wants to do something through you and not for you. Let me give you a couple of practical ways that if you are feeling that, I think I want to start operating in this, but I don't, but I do feeling, some ways that you can begin to practice this in your life this week. The first is this, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew 6. 
See, when we operate in authority, we are superimposing the rule of God over the destructive rule of this present world. We pray God's kingdom to come and we exercise authority, and by doing so, we invite God's ways into our current setting. Begin your day praying through the Lord's Prayer. The first part of that prayer is so powerful. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is this. It is the rule of God superimposed on our present world. If you begin praying that every single morning, looking at your life, your sphere of influence, your family, your community, your workplace, and saying, where are things not the way they ought to be? And what would God's ways look like if it invaded there? You will find areas that you will begin to operate in authority in. You will begin to live a here-as-in-heaven type life. Second, protect and bless your home. Parents, roommates, protect your home. Take authority over it. Bless it. Do you have a child or a spouse that's having trouble sleeping? Authoritatively pray into that. The reason might be a simple health issue, but it could be more. The enemy might be just distracting there, especially if nightmares are involved. Be a protector of your home. Declare peace and blessing in your dwelling space. What is the purpose of your home? Do you like people having, having people in your home a lot? Do you want them to experience the peace of Christ? Then pray. My back patio is a place where people will experience the peace of Christ in Jesus' name. And when you start inviting people over, see what happens. Your living room, what is your purpose of that place? Begin to declare that. Take it up another level and begin to walk around your neighborhood and declare the ways of God in your neighborhood. Peace, protection over your neighbors, over their properties, over what's going on there. Take it up one more level and this week spend one hour in the prayer room over in the Broadway Commons building on the fourth floor. Take those elevators up there. If you haven't been there before, oh my goodness, there is this room up there with these massive windows that overlook our city. Go up there and declare truth of who God is over the city of Salem. Declare this city will be a city at peace with God in ways it has never seen before. Get up there and pray over the city in Jesus' name. A third thing, name or declare truth over someone. What do I mean by this? Well, in Genesis 2, this is part of the thing that we are given power to name. And so when you're praying for someone, if the Lord gives you and and, and nudges you and says, give them this name from Scripture, tell them that they are like this person from Scripture. Or if the Lord gives you an, an image, I remember one of the first times the Lord ever showed me an image when I was praying. I was a professor at Alliance Theological Seminary in New York, and one of our students was struggling. We were on a retreat, and he's really struggling. And he came to me, and he asked for prayer. And as soon as I put my hand on him, I got this incredible picture of this oak tree with these really big, deep roots that went down into the ground. I said, you've got nothing to worry about. You're an oak. And it was really weird, but the next couple of weeks, every time I saw him, how you doing, oak? I just named them oak. We'd play basketball together. Hey, oak. It was weird. But he, he emailed me about a year after that and said, you have no idea what that did for me. You have no idea what that did for me, you declaring that truth into my life. If you are expecting a child, can I encourage you to pray into a significant name for your child? What might God be saying your child will become? What attributes will he have? What giftings will he or she have? How will they be used? How will she be used in the kingdom of God? Find a name that fits that and begin declaring these truths over your child. Next, renounce. Renounce sin, shame, thoughts, footholds in Jesus' name. If someone speaks ill of you, search it. Is there any truth in it? If there is not, say, I don't receive that in Christ's name. 
Are there patterns of sin that you're having trouble breaking? We've talked about this last week. Renounce those in Jesus' name and move on. It, it works in the realm of thoughts as well. Uh, is there something that you've looked at in the past and that image comes back to you? Is there an experience that you know, why does that image keep coming back? That's not of God. I had to do this this week. I was running Wednesday morning with my daughter and I, I tried to push her a little too hard and said, let's do one more block. She said, no way. And she took a quick right-hand turn right out into traffic on Capitol Street. She came this close to getting barreled over by a black Jeep Cherokee. That thing slammed on his brakes. And the gentleman, I mean, it was so we all just froze. He rolled down his window and was just panicking. Is everyone okay? Yes, we are. We declared the protection of God over all of us right there. And we went home and I debriefed with my daughter. But for whatever reason, I, even though I gave thanks right there for the next four hours, about every 20 minutes, an image would pop in my head of seeing her get hit. But that's not what happened. And I didn't want that image anymore because it was really bothering me. And I simply said, I declare that my daughter was protected, that I have dedicated her to the Lord, and I don't want that image anymore. It fleed. It didn't come back. If your comfort level is there as well, if you have given a foothold to the enemy, if a friend of yours has given a foothold into the enemy and they want to be free of that, as Steve presented to us last week, there are ways to find freedom. Freedom from those things that continue to give us bondage, from the demonization, from whatever you want to call it, there is freedom in there. I encourage you to go through the steps that he introduced us to last week. Remember, renounce, and reclaim. Those are available online. There are people prepared to help walk you through those. Finally, pronounce healing over an emotional or physical need. Pronounce healing over a physical or emotional need. Notice it doesn't say pray healing. It says pronounce. Because if we believe truly that the same spirit that lives in me is what raised Christ from the dead and that we will do even greater things than he because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, then why are we praying let's begin to pronounce and announce his ways and his will into sickness, into emotional areas of unhealth. Friends, the enemy does not want you to operate in this. The enemy fears nothing more than believers, than Christians that operate in the authority that they have been given. If you decide and you have courage and you begin to operate and you start to do some of these things, chances are this week that the enemy is going to come at you because he fears this. He wants to stop it right away. So he's going to say, who do you think you are? You're not worthy. Another opportunity to use your authority. Another opportunity to say, hold up a banner over you that says, I am free and clear. I live in the light. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. This victory has already been won. <laughs> Authority is rooted in identity. It is expanded in intimacy and is activated by faith. Let me conclude. Realize what you have. Realize what you have. What is keeping you from operating in what Christ has already accomplished. The authority was forfeited, but it was won back on the cross. It is a present possession. It is not a future hope. It is a present possession of yours. As you begin to operate in this authority, I pray that you will find more purpose, deeper intimacy, that you will see things differently, that you will understand how the kingdom of God operates in you as part of a community that is at war a war that has already been won. Our authority was forfeited in Christ. This authority was restored and reclaimed. Go 
and walk in it. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that you are wanting men and women, youth in this room to begin to walk under this mantle of authority. And for those people, I pray, Lord, that even now, that they will simply scoop down and pick up that mantle of authority in Jesus' name. I release courage over the people here to be able to begin to walk in this authority. And as they walk in this authority, would you bless them? Would you, with your grace, expand the intimacy that they have? Build their faith. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come in new ways in this city and to the ends of the earth. That only happens when we embrace this truth, not just intellectually, but with our actions. Unleash faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.